0: Why don't you let them know how many people are here by giving us a good cheer?
1: Welcome to our season three premiere. Uh, this is She-Ra, Progressive of Power, the only podcast dedicated to She-Ra for, I don't know, maybe another two days. You know, yeah. I, think, I think a lot are going to pop up, but I just want everyone out there to know that we were there first and we are the gatekeepers of the community. That's why we're all here, right? To keep getting
0: you start a She-Ra podcast, for <laughs> stealing your lunch money.
1: <laughs> so let me tell you about She-Ra and my day. No, that's not why we're here. So as you all know, um, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power just launched on Netflix. Actually, we booked the theater so that we could watch the premiere episode the day it came out. And then. Then, then they drafted three days earlier. Thanks, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you. <ya. laughs> but that's okay. We all got to experience the first two episodes of this lovely show. And we have a couple guests who are going to talk about it with us who... So we should do a little bit of history, maybe, right, if you're just jumping in. So I'm Eric.
0: And I'm Lauren.
1: I brought Lauren into this. She had never seen She-Ra before. And now I dare say she loves this more than I do, at least as much. So much so that uh, we have a beef with the Hello from the Magic Tavern podcast. Not the because whole show. With Matt Young. Because he accidentally took a gift that a fan gave me and Lauren and it was a packaged cowl and Lookie action figure, and Lauren kept referring to Lookie as her son.
0: Yes, and that's it was very my child, sad. my precious boy. <laughs> and it was the only fan mail we'd ever received. Like, we've gotten tweets and we've gotten emails, but my child, Lookie was a tangible thing that I loved. So someone was doing a really nice thing. Someone was cleaning out the studio here at Cards Against Humanity and threw my son into the mailbox belonging to Hello from the Magic Tavern. They're a much more popular podcast. They literally have a mail
1: bin full of of mail that they probably clean out like every week.
0: And even though there was no letter or no note, Matt Young apparently (laughs) collects Masters of the Universe figurines and went, This must be for me. And he took him home, ripped him out of his box. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean to kidnap my son. Uh, And I gave him such uh, grief about it and I was just joking, and I think I might have actually made him feel really bad, so much so that when he bought us a new son on eBay, he then put it back in the studio and took, like, a time-stamped photo uh, to be like, at this date and this time, you had a child. And I was like, thank goodness. And I today I ran in and checked that he was still there, but... Hello from the Magic Tavern. We're coming for you.
1: <laughs> my, my point is that clearly Lauren loves She-Ra quite a bit at this point, but just
0: like in a very specific way. But the new
1: the new show the point of the new show is that this opens Shira up to a whole new generation of people that have maybe never even heard of her, or certainly haven't experienced the original like we have. And so it's for kids. We're going to be talking to a real live kid next on next week's episode of the podcast. But for now,
0: a real live baby. We have
1: a we have nine years old. <laughs> Close. <Not> Lauren's son. <laughs> yeah, Lauren's son. Looky, uh, no. today we have a couple adults who are not immersed in Shira, but have other bona fides experience with the genre or with criticism. Wait, bona fide? Yeah.
0: Bona fide?
1: It's okay. We'll talk about this off mic.
0: Okay. right? Am I wrong?
1: I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I want to look it up before okay, I go to bed <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, we have a, a, a film critic in the house, as well as someone who is a, long, a lifelong fan of Noelle Stevenson and the Magical Girls genre of films and anime, and we're going to talk to both of them and see what they thought. So, let's bring him up here. From Consequences of Sound, as well as the Alka Hollywood podcast, Clint Worthington! Woo! Hi, everybody. Where do I sit?
0: Pick one that's not this one.
1: This one's And soon to be the host of a long-running storytelling show that I am leaving in December. Uh-uh. Please welcome... Oh, you sounded happy about that. <laughs> no, <gonna> <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, Shelby Mongan. Aang <laughs> yeah. Slayer. King Slayer, Slayer. King Shel- Slayer.
2: Taking down the King of the Yeah, the,
1: my last show where Shelby takes over, she's going to uh, impale me, right? Is that that's what the fans decided? I
2: think that's the rightful way to you to go out,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's It'll
2: okay, be- I'll take
0: care of our son. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Little soldier on. Lauren, he's not my son. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the father is, but it's not me. You're <laughs> doing a retelling
0: Why do you deny him? <laughs> <laughs> you pay your child support, Eric. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>
1: <laughs> <that's not laughs> guys, I gotta go. I'm
0: Literally in the middle of
3: it. <laughs> While you were recounting the story of the missing child, I pictured you as Mel Gibson and Ransom, yes. <laughs> shouting into the phone desk, Billy, give me back my son! And Matt just confused. Yes. Hello from the
0: Magic Tavern, I have a very specific set of skills.
1: Uh, yeah, it's true. I wonder if anyone will, that listens to both of our shows will tweet at them and be like, they talk some mad shit about you. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast beef? <laughs> So, I don't think we need to necessarily recap, except maybe in broad strokes, because we all just sat through this. Hopefully everyone who's listening has gotten a chance to experience She-Ra. But we just watched the two-part pilot, uh, The Sword, parts one and two, which is kind of the rewriting of the original Secret of the Sword, where um, this Horde soldier named Adora becomes woke and uh, realizes realizes that the people that she's lived her whole life with are really shitty, evil, fascist conquerors of this planet where they don't belong— And then she ends up joining the side of the good guys. Pretty good summary, right?
0: Before we get into it, what is our guest's experience with She-Ra before today? I have been to cons
2: where people have cosplayed various characters. It is... No, so in reality, like, I am just at the wrong generation to have ever watched She-Ra as a kid. Um, It would have been too dated and and kind of tacky when I was little. Um, So... Not to say it is, not to say it isn't, but like the, it, it's, it wouldn't have been an animation style or a show that would have grabbed me, which I find to be regretful because I think I would have probably loved it. But um, I do find that a lot of the things from the Shira universe and the larger kind of He-Man universe as well are just kind of part of the pop culture environment I've been in. So I can reference some things about it. Like I know what Gray Skull looks like. I know about He-Man, like I know general things, but I've never actually sat down and watched an entire episode of the show.
3: Uh, as sort of your prototypical latchkey late eighties, early nineties kid, I was mostly exposed to He-Man though. I knew of She-Ra I probably had seen a couple episodes of the original show back in my, my infancy, but, uh, I don't remember any of it now. Um, but I do remember the most recent exposure I had to specific She-Ra stuff was like, like almost five, six years ago, um would we got press passes for one precious year to Wizard World Chicago. And we, hey. uh, we went around and like did all the shopping. And my co-host Jared, uh, one of the few things that either of us my bought... My twin
0: brother Jared.
3: He bought a cell, like a, an animation cell from She-Ra uh, for that day. And that was, so that, that's like the the last oh. time I ever thought about She-Ra until huh. this uh, show came out. He
0: has not told me about that.
3: Yeah, that's a closely guarded secret that I've exposed to <laughs> possibly dozens of people. Lauren, we can't start another podcast beef. It's either Magic it or Alcohol, uh, Isn't beef if, if I'm in the <laughs> beef? Yeah. Beef with myself? Having
1: established that neither of you have really engaged with she much more beyond the fact that she does kind of exist in the pop culture ether, what were your first impressions of the two-part pilot? A uh,
2: lot of internal screaming. Mostly just a lot of screaming internally. Um so, I love a, a kick-ass girl show in general. I am also a giant child. Um, the people in the room might have noticed the moment when Bo ran uh, hard into the door. I laughed <laughs> inappropriately loudly. Um, <laughs> It, it, we So, it basically, it's written for me, Um, and the, the moment... I knew I was sold, you know, throughout, I loved the whole thing, but um, the moment we got a magical girl anime-style transformation sequence, I was prepared to die for everyone on the show.
0: I was watching you and not the screen. <laughs> you mean
2: my child, like, clapping in glee.
0: Yeah, well, I am a big childhood fan of Sailor Moon. Of course. And there's a lot here that is... Borrowed, I think, in a loving way from that whole genre. And I saw in your face mm-hmm. that, like, this was a thing we shared and knew together.
2: Yeah. Well, I think so. And I'll, I can talk about this more later, but I, like Eric mentioned, I've been following the shows, the showrunner for years and years and years. And she is of a similar generation where Sailor Moon was an impactful thing. And, like, that introduction of anime and f- the introduction of specifically the magical girl genre was paramount paramount to your childhood foundations. Um, it was clear to me throughout the entire show. I mean, it really was just... A, it felt like a magical girl anime all the way through, which I am so here for.
3: As for me, I mean, I... I wasn't sure exactly what to expect going in, but I was. I felt sort of primed for it, not just because of uh, you know talking with you and knowing about the, the your guys's podcast, but um, I'm also a huge fan because I'm a TV critic in addition to a film critic. And um, I think maybe a year ago I wouldn't have been as primed, but um, I just came off like a very short lived. TV podcast for Consequence of Sound, in which we watched a lot of Netflix stuff, and uh, I was especially introduced to Steven Universe through that show. And so yeah, there's a lot art. of Steven Universe, which I'm sure we'll get into in the show. But I'm also a huge fan of the Netflix version of Voltron. Um, mm. So they had already uh, they had already hooked me on like successfully rebooting these 80s cartoons with a level of complexity that I wasn't really you know prepared for. Um, and also there's a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender in there. So yeah. this is this feels of, of a kind with a lot of um, this kind of streaming service centric, um, more mature children's programming. Um, so, and I thought it fit nicely.
2: There's, there's something that's both satisfying and really frustrating about the fact that Netflix is really killing the game on re-monetizing nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Because the product that they're making is so good. Like, it's good. It's not just buy this thing because you used to remember watch it. Or, this? Yeah. Right. It's not just remember this. It is offering something new to the picture. And it both frustrates me, but it also brings me a great deal of joy.
0: It's the frustration that comes from when you're like, oh, you got me. Take my money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but for good
2: reason. And I want um, – I've been seeing on Facebook my friends with kids. Like, I've been watching them recount the fact that their daughter's I mean, their kids, but their daughters especially are watching the show. And it's not just because dad really liked He-Man when he was little. It's because it's a genuinely good show.
3: And Netflix knew that, too, because um, a little peek behind the curtain, I was going to try to get us screeners ahead of time. Um, but by the time they got back to me, they were like, oh, we're just going to release it on the 13th early because of fan anticipation mm-hmm. so they had such faith in the show that they yes they released it three days earlier than they said they were going to well, Lauren and
1: I actually had that conversation we were wondering what kids are going to be able to stay home from school and watch this and then, we re- then I thought no we are, it's adults like me who yeah. Sh- yeah. shun yeah. their work right. obligations to finish this Tuesday <laughs> they'll watch it on Saturday
2: the, yeah. Yeah, the kids don't pay for Netflix yeah. Like, yeah. they will watch right. it when parent puts it
1: on But what's I love your point Shelby but what's interesting about that too is we were talking um, in the break about how the original He-Man and She-Ra were so close to tied to capitalistic interests yeah. to the okay. point where like the figures were literally just like mass produced body parts with like a new sheen and accessory mm-hmm. slapped on them. And then it was like the most successful toy line of all time. There's none of that kind of outward marketing yet for this show. Like, they're really leading with the narrative. Uh, It's for sure coming.
2: (laughs) I'm going to buy so much stuff from this show.
1: (laughs) Hell, yeah. Uh, Anything that Shadow Weaver comes out, I will buy a Shadow Weaver thing out. I'm
0: so pleased to hear you like Shadow Weaver, our favorite character.
1: I love Shadow... So I have... I, Lauren and a lot of my other friends who were classics fans had some uh, trepidation about her redesign. I love everything about Shadow Weaver. Actually, what this show reminds me of, which maybe someone out there will get this, is X-Men Evolution. The way that, like, they kind of de-age or appropriately age a lot of the characters. But then the couple of times where there's adults in the room, you're like, oh, shit, it's serious. Right. Like, Shadow Weaver doesn't partake in, like, the, the goofy play. Like, anytime she's speaking, it's like, ooh, yeah, this is... You gotta pay attention to her,
3: right? And uh, she's voiced in the new one by Lorraine Toussaint, who's this venerated character actress. I think most people might know her. She had a stint in season two of Orange Is the New Black, uh-huh. and there was this great oh. independent movie that came out. Um, yeah, she was like a V, I think yeah, it was. yeah yeah yeah. Um, that was that's that's her, and she she was the lead. She was one of the leads in this really great independent movie from earlier this year called Fast Color. That's like one of the best low key superhero movies that, that oh. have come out in the last awesome. few years.
1: And her dialogue just pops. Like I love. I love this line. I wrote it down. Is this not what you wanted since you were old enough to want? Oh, my like, God, that's such a good oh. line. This is what I raised
0: you for, Adora. Now is your chance to
1: prove yourself. I saw talent in you the moment I found you as an orphan child and took you in. Is this not what you've wanted since you were old enough to want
0: anything? I'm glad they put that line where they did because I'm going to be the first person to throw some like constructive criticism out there. <laughs> yeah. And I find uh, these two episodes a little exposition-y and she's the most exposition-y. Yeah. She's like, you yeah. know, when I found you <laughs> right. as an, an orphan. orphan. <laughs> Which
3: reminded me of Black Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was an orphan.
0: <laughs> and there's so True. much like... Guys, this is the backstory in that moment that for them to at least write that killer line in for her really saves it. It really justifies the moment. It
2: does feel like eating your vegetables before (laughs) you get to eat dessert, though. Like it's like at this point, it's it's become it's a trope. But I I just expect that episode one, especially when it's a two part episode of a show like this, is going to be lore, 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 (laughs) lore. Okay, now we can tell an actual story.
0: And that, that is true normally. It's extra true in a franchise like this one Mm. because there's so much previous content that they have to try to honor and so many people on board from the eighties that they can at least try to please that they're not only telling the story to new fans, but they have all these Easter eggs to put in, all these moments to like, and winks and nods to do. Uh, there's a lot in this episode that uh, is already hinting at She-Ra's true origins, uh, some that we might recognize from Masters of the Universe, and I find that very exciting.
1: But I like that they also they only dwell on the backstory when it's relevant to the emotional truths of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we have the password Eternia, which I find enthralling, and I'm going to guess some people in this room that, like, re- registers nothing. That's totally fine. I love what's Grayskull? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. You will. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's all we get about it.
2: I do like that she just accepts it. Like, oh, well, this is just the code word. Right, just yeah. Just like I read this ancient language and there was a code word for that. Like, oh, Grayskull
0: must be similar. Yeah. But we do see a comet and we do see a portal and we do see a baby crying. And so if you're a fan of who's really expecting to see a certain something-something from this story. Like, it's there for you to find. Mm-hmm. But if you're new, it barely matters. And I thought that was very elegant. Yeah.
3: Yeah, as someone who isn't as steeped in the lore, that that felt like a really interesting mystery that I'm sure, you know, I can, if I think hard enough about it, I can predict where it's going, but I right. don't really care to do that. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I I really enjoy sort of how elegant, apart from like those brief clunky, there's like a little bit of clunky dialogue in the first few scenes where they have to establish, you know, um, Adora and Catra's relationship and the stuff with the Shadow Weaver. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I thought like focusing really quickly on the dynamic between Adora, uh, Glimmer and Bo, I think is the real heart of the two episodes. And that's like where it really starts to come into its own.
2: Can we just have a drink for the fact that Glimmer is thick?
3: Because yeah, yes. yeah,
2: I like representation, please Ooh. and thank you. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> like well, I, uh, More Shades of I, Steven Universe, because right, but yeah, yes, Amethyst, yeah.
2: She looks like a real person. Um yeah. the minute she walked on and I saw that I was I knew I, I had heard things I'd heard kind of um, been seeing Noelle and the rest of the sort of team on Twitter showing some images of the characters of whom I have no background. So I was like, glimmer. Cool. She's purple. Um, But seeing that design and realizing that this is going to be one of the main characters in this major show, like that alone made me very happy. Their relationship on top of that, the fact that 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 fully fleshed out relationship, even in a small two episode chunk was interesting.
1: Like, and that's one of the downfalls of having mass produced characters literally is like, there's no diversity of body because the toys are all just one thing. Uh, It's great in this show. And Lauren and I always talked about one of the biggest issues with the original She-Ra is there's no characters of color. Like, there's one black woman on the Rebellion who I think is in two episodes yeah, and has, like, two. five lines. Yeah. yeah. And
0: she's, she's in the show. She's in, like, episode three. Yeah.
3: Natasa. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, she's coming. Yeah, because the impression I get, because I've only seen the first two episodes as well, is that there's, there's going to be a slight anthology feel to this where there's going to be, like, a Princess of the Week Yes. Um, that I get so I, we're going to see a lot of different shades of this world which is really cool. I've got, got, the whole
1: world, got the whole world, Find out where they hide.
0: Her. Hit us with your question. No,
2: I love it. So I I noticed the the pluralization of the remake so princesses of power mm-hmm. versus princess and I I am Super intrigued as someone who is fascinated by sort of social constructions of gender and, and some of the words and the images that we use about the way that this show treats princesses as from the bad guy side, this sort of dangerous power. But princesses, not just as it seems sit in a tower, but as a way to designate insanely strong, powerful, like magical women. Um, is that true in the original where there's multiple princesses or is Shira like the princess?
0: We it's, both went like that for the people at home. <laughs> we both put a hand up and like wiggled it like. Yeah. Hey. You should have heard the wind blowing
2: by then, the mic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there are multiple princesses. Um, I, they didn't really make any new princess characters for this show, but okay. princesses wasn't a concept. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on unified world building in the eighties, which is Fair. totally different. now. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. It was like, hey, you can go to Toys R Us and get this one, and this one, and this one. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah they're all. they're all characters that existed in the original but their relationships to one another Uh, their kingdoms, Mm -hmm. the the struggles that each individual is going through, the growth that they have to experience, that's Mm -hmm. almost all new. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very, uh, Clint said the word toyetic earlier in the (laughs) night. It was very much, uh, here's the the snow woman, you could go buy her toy. Here's the mermaid woman, you could go buy her toy. And now they have a point.
1: And now that we know their (laughs) narratives, we want to buy their toys. Right.
2: (laughs) Yes, aggressively so. Yeah, I just, I find that interesting because, thinking about there's been a lot of acts in different kinds of children's media. So like in books and shows and things to take the concept of princess and sort of shift it. So there's, um, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, perhaps my helpful fiance who used to be a children's librarian might know. Um, but uh, there's a book about a princess whose whole gig is like rescuing a prince mm-hmm. from payroll. Um, these are sort of the, some of the narratives that are starting to come up, but it seems like this is going to play with that word that has very specific pink with a cone hat for some reason, Um, like pink dress in a tower, you know, pretty, pretty princess. Um, Those connotations and and play with them in an an interesting way that I think is valuable for little girls and little boys to hear.
3: No, absolutely. I think... um it it is really interesting to see the way that this show classifies princesses, where especially when we first see we we first enter this rebooted world from the perspective of the horde, right? Where there's you know we we learn about the princesses, we see them first in this monstrous propaganda poster on mm-hmm. the side of a punching bag, and uh, you know there's a conversation. Um, later after Adora first becomes She-Ra briefly, that she's unsure she doesn't want to be a princess because that's a pejorative in her specific culture. She, she calls them monsters. Monsters, yeah. And there, there's a lot of like different sort of like, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I'm sure this is deliberate, but that, that very sort of, it's a divided divided land with yeah. their own sets of facts, you yeah. know, um, which I thought was fascinating. And seeing the way that happens, especially even in that the the, the world that Glimmer lives in where there are specific princesses with specific powers. And then she seems in a class all her own, almost godlike. Mm-hmm. Um, this unstoppable force. Like whenever, whenever we see her in the pilot, she's this glowing, like, you know, Untermensch base uh, Ubermensch. I mean, I guess so um, it's this, it's really fascinating to see the way they've up, upsc- they scaled up her powers and sort of treated that with a sufficient level of majesty and almost fear. Um, so it's cool to see like the different ways Princess the word princess is, is uh, associated in the world.
0: I'm very glad because I think you're correct that She-Ra is kind of frightening. yeah and mm-hmm. there's a majestic and feminine and awesome fear. but mm-hmm. like still she's scary. Mm-hmm. And I think it adds some nuance to who the horde is and how they feel about, the Whispering Woods and right. the princesses. It is hilarious that they live in the Fright Zone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking Just of the How did no one keeper. get that? Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about
0: how scary the outside world is. But um, what I love so much about this show in general is that all of the lines are blurred. You know, mm-hmm. the princesses are a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. And in turn, we see this in the pilot and we especially see this later in the show. There are kind good people who kind of are on the hoard too. Yeah. Um everyone is so fully realized and everyone is so fleshed out and motivated that you know no one's just truly good or truly evil and it's so important that when you're talking about a political struggle, you're talking about fascism, you're talking about power. You know, I'm in grad school right now getting my MBA and I just finished a huge project on Enron. And the whole point of Enron, I know, boo, it was a huge, (laughs) terrible scam, but the whole point of Enron is that there were a lot of people in that building who meant well and- For whatever reason, they had a charismatic boss. They liked the money. They truly thought they were doing the right thing. Otherwise, good people wound up doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And this world that we're building Mm -hmm. sees people who are kind and have friends and have positive relationships committing atrocities. And I'm thrilled because new generations need to see that. Look around us right now into our real political world. This is a story we need to be telling our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think
2: by this... Image and metaphor too. I'm really curious to see the way that they flesh out Catra long term. Yeah. Um, because I mean, to be frank, as a, the goody goody that I am at the beginning of the episode, or the first episode, it was, she was a little grading. She was a little hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think going on further and further and understanding how much knowledge she has and what got her to be at the place and the amount of or the, I guess the lack thereof of caring that she seems to have, that she's very much focused on herself, but seems to have something good in her. I'm really excited to see how they flesh her out because it, I mean, it seems like they're obviously pushing her in a more evil direction or on the the bad side, quote unquote, but not all bad guys are bad. Right. And
3: speaking way. to that complication too, like so much of it feels born of, especially that final confrontation they have in the pilot yeah. feels born of like, she's not really necessarily opposing it for any particular reason more than, I, knew, I know you. We've, we've been friends since childhood, and suddenly you, you buddy up with these other people you've known for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And so it's much more person It's about their friendship for her. Like
1: the cruelty doesn't register to she her. She doesn't care. She gets that the Shadow
3: Weaver's full of crap. Yeah. But right. like she does it out of fear, out of loyalty, out of just all, um, habit, possibly.
0: One know? of the most uh, stirring moments of this episode for me is when Adora gets her promotion, and Katra and Adora are just hanging out, and Catra's happy for her, but maybe not really. Mm-hmm. And immediately Adora's willing to look Catra in the face and say, well, maybe you didn't get promoted because you're kind of disrespectful. And power just immediately starts to mm-hmm. needle at their relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really sad. And that whole dynamic comes to a head at the end of the pilot when you see like the smoke clear and Katra's standing there looking at She-Ra, that's where this animation, this generation of animation really just slaughters. I, the emotion on Katra's face right there. We never saw that in the 80s. That relationship, you don't need any words. It's there.
1: I'm on the record as saying this in one of our podcasts, but uh, I, I th- you know, guessed that because the original she is very much about a woman kind of coming into her family and I think this show is much more about friendship and like the family that you make. And the pilot definitely seems to back that up. That Idora has to navigate these gray relationships with Katra and with Bo and Glimmer. And I think that's that's really cool and probably very relatable to young people.
3: Why are you doing this? Because you left me, and if I don't bring you back, Shadow Weaver's
2: gonna have my head. So enough with your weird little identity crisis, and let's go home already. Or do I need to zap you again? The other thing that I think is fascinating about that relationship that I think we'll see play out as well in the relationship of Adora with Glimmer and Bo is the relationship of people who inherently sort of have different talent and therefore power dynamics. So it seems to me the undercurrent of Catra and Adora's relationship was while Catra might be talented, she might be, you know, strong or swift or whatever it is, she doesn't try because she doesn't want to fail, and she inherently then kind of appears to be the weaker of the two. She's the Watson to the Sherlock. Um, what do you do when that thing that is your security blanket who has kept you safe but also made you feel maybe a little bit worse about yourself – Abandoned to, right? Or, or chooses a different side or comes to a decision that you've already reckoned with. Um, and I imagine, given the sort of ethereal, um, divine esque nature of the She character, what's, what is, how are Bo and Glimmer going to reckon with being friends with that?
0: Yeah, that's true on both sides. I mean, Katra. Is shown up by Adora, and then Adora shows up in a new group and starts showing them up right. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
2: she seems—I mean, it, I am assuming because this is a story for children—I I don't feel like I'm super often understanding the plot. She is—she is descended of ancient beings; like she is more than just a normal person. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be an escapable dynamic in likely most of her relationships, but how they navigate that. And then in turn for kids, how do you navigate being friends with the smartest kid in class or the star athlete? How do you, when you're not that kid, how do you navigate that? And if you are that kid, how do you be not an asshole to your friends. How are you conscious of
3: yeah, that? Right, and there's also the question of where Adora begins and She-Ra ends, too, mm-hmm. because it seems, especially during the transformation stuff, it seems like She-Ra is an entirely different person that, like, it's not necessarily that Adora seems in full control of. I don't think we've seen She-Ra speak as mm-hmm. She-Ra in these first two episodes. She doesn't at all, no. She doesn't at all. So it seems seems like this entirely, this, this force of nature that you let loose on the battlefield. And then, like, when she comes down, she's, like... You know, she when she transforms into her, is pristine and in that, you know, incredible costume. But then when she dematerializes back into Adora, she's coated in dirt from the attack. Yes. So it feels like there's there's almost like not necessarily a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on, but there is sort of this issue of this power that she can control. And to what extent, like, do Glimmer and Bo project how what they feel about Adora on She-Ra? Yeah. I don't
2: know. We, we see in that the second transformation, so like you said, with the amazing animation and the subtleties yeah, we can get, great. the minute that a little bit of Adora pokes through the she thing, the entire thing vanishes. Like the minute that she has a little bit of human doubt or like a little bit of a something pokes through that seems less godlike. The entire thing drops for her. So, yeah, she doesn't seem in control. I imagine if she has a voice, it would be booming and terrifying and glorious and I would (laughs) very her on. But, like, (laughs) I don't know because she never spoke, right? There's that authority of that silence. She becomes one of the – actually, she becomes to me one of the adults. So, hedging off that theme, when the adults are in the room, things are serious – when Adora becomes She-Ra, she is one of the adults. She's taller than everyone else. She doesn't speak. She holds this authoritative space.
3: She has that glow. She has those like that, that those alien sort of eyes. That yeah. like bright blue glow to her eyes that Adora doesn't have. That yeah. makes her seem even less sort of human and approachable. And that hair. That that hair yeah. though. Oh my god! Can we talk about the design, the redesign of the character, real quick? Oh, and Can so we like quickly um, just put to bed any possible criticism that this is like <laughs>
0: yes. not
3: great? Like just just. Com- on the record say <laughs> uh, fuck off to all the people who are really really <laughs> shitty about like the character designs. You mean
2: cuz she wasn't sufficiently fuckable right. as like a 16 year old? Okay. Yeah. Honestly, that's that to me from what it like reading from the outside in, that's what a that was the kind of background message to a, some of the critiques. Yes. Oh, that, that was, oh, was already. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to be yeah. favorable but yeah. No, I, I I was no, talking
0: to no I was quarter. talking to Eric earlier today or yesterday about this argument. And on one hand, we both agree that once this show dropped, a lot of the negativity toned mm. down. Whether that was really toxic people not actually willing to watch it, or yeah. in my heart of hearts, maybe people watched it and, and like liked it and yeah. came around. But I still saw a couple of those gross adult men who this show isn't for anyway, saying, gosh, Adora is like feminine and a nice young lady. And then she turns into this hulking masculine creature. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that (laughs) is that she's no less feminine because feminine is such a crappy, sexist, misogynistic term. Like, she's not less feminine she's more muscular, she's stronger, she's gorgeous, she's empowered, I don't look at that character and go, ugh, now she turned into a gross dude. I look at that character and I go, "Wow, now she's a goddess." And mm-hmm. if your top concern is whether or not you see her boobs, you need to get out of this fandom. I am coming to murder you. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, oh boy. No,
2: I, I will. I will. I will hold your hearing. Like, yes, I am. I am here for
3: that.
1: I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. give a little bit of leeway and say, I think it's fair if the art style of the show doesn't appeal to you. Yes. But I think there's a, a large amount of criticism that um, is so vociferous about that, that, you know, there's some weird, like psychosexual thing going yeah, it's on. It's
3: specifically that, gendered and a really gross. Y- yes. Yeah. And I, I, a lot of
1: the comments I saw from like former haters that did come around were like, Oh, you know, I still don't like the art, but it looks good in motion or like the story's so good I can look past it. I think that's fair. I got nothing against those people. but
2: <sighs> Yeah, and that's – it's when you're rebooting a property, that's going to happen, right? The right. fact that it doesn't look like the original is going to annoy some people, that's fine. But I do agree that the the use of – like hammering on that in a particular way becomes more of like – it's almost dog whistly to me. It's yeah. it is the worst oh, yeah. version of gatekeeping, which is to say that you don't sufficiently meet my criteria. In
3: contrast to the way '80s cartoons looked, where every everyone had these idealized, very bifurcated bodies, where where men were these hulking bodybuilders and women were these like overly feminized, like hourglass shaped kind of curvy, curvaceous sex objects. Um, I feel like. Children's animation now is able to give give a little more leeway to body types of, you know, all, all sorts. You know, we were talking about Glimmer, um, how awesome it is that there is a plus-size, uh, you know, hero for women. And even, like, just these different people who look like more like real people yeah. like yeah. they just like no one is like no one is shredded in this show but they are they are athletic and they are you know lithe and they can do the things that they need to do but the emphasis isn't on like muscle definition right both
2: whispers of being shredded
3: yeah per, yeah a little bit we got that <laughs> we got Which, that like made that's made, cool we, with we me. got that made with made with res- that. like Chidi? Um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no
2: yeah, yeah. Can we sort <laughs> of separate product? Product? We, have a, <laughs> we have a minute
3: just, <laughs> <laughs
1: you put the peeps in the chili pot and eat them both up. You put the peeps
3: in the chili pot and add the M and M's. You put the peeps in the chili pot and makes it taste bad. To move off of, Sh- of Shira and Adora for a second, I do really, really like. I think Bo is. War- I'm warming up to is my favorite. Oh my god, Bo is so charming. Um, especially, I mean, because they redesigned him, you know, and obviously he's a person of color now, and and, and with that uh, more subtle, subdued. Um, comparatively uh, outfit where like it's not quite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the old show it's like Low literally marks. a heart on gold armor and now it just sort of looks heart shaped um, still a
0: midriff though
3: he's still a midriff and that dope fade he has a dope fade <laughs> yeah, oh yeah let's totally yeah. not hard. lie and I it, I loved him even more once I found out who voiced him once I recognized the voice yeah. and uh, if anyone watches the sitcom Blackish, um, it's the oldest son on that Junior Marcus Scribner oh. and he's great in that and this. Yeah. Um so it's and it's so it's super cool and it's you know as like the one as the one male main character in a in a very female centric show, mm-hmm. I think he plays a really interesting role in establishing the norms for masculinity in this world where he's he's sensitive, he's not afraid to like open up about his feelings. He never tries to pull rank. He's just He's this... like
0: cleaning her laundry up. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> most... like He's
3: just a good friend and a good <laughs> supportive person. And I feel like, you know, as as, as great as the show is, it's setting wonderful role models for women, I think that like young boys need to see pe- people like Bo and yeah. see the way that he behaves right. and how important that is to emulate. He
1: also is the voice of empathy in the second episode, which I really like. Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah, I... So... They could not have made a more perfect directorial choice of having Bo immediately when he gets into Glimmer's room start cleaning. Yeah, because that so much about him in that one moment. Totally, it tells you everything about who he was, and it's also really refreshing to see the the heart and the patience and the like openness and empathy of the show that that voice initially being male. Like, that is very, that feels very unique, particularly as a, a man of color. Um, that's that's really cool. Bo, I really, I want to see him, this is my one concern, I want to see him fully developed. Because I think that character is really easy to just be good for a joke and good for a sweet moment but not actually be fully fleshed out character. I am baffled as to how he fits into this world. I don't know his relationship to right. glimmer. I want to know but I I part of me worries about is he going to get the same treatment that everyone else is getting? He
3: literally says in the first episode, "I think everyone else in this world is a princess except me." <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: Which is a whole other question of yeah. like that's an interesting thing to explore but yeah, I I really want to see more about who Bo is as a person.
1: Oh, you will. Yeah.
0: I do love that he like a gets threat. uh. No. You <laughs> <will>. <laughs> nice. Oh god. I do love that he gets the last line that we saw tonight, which is whose horse. Oh is this? yeah, whose horse Such is this? <laughs> no. The
2: horse. Whose he horse is this after it was an honor He's fighting served, alongside you It's more, been an go. honor
3: serving beside you, Horsey. horsey. <laughs> I'm Line like, of the
1: episode.
2: I just could not have loved him more. That
1: that whole sequence where, like, you, they really lean into the anime tropes and, like, Adora, for the first time in her life, gets to be a kid and they convey that with, like, sparkles oh, and anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the segoy
3: yeah. eyes. There's a lot of segoy yeah. eyes. Yeah. It's yeah. so charming. Oh, I, <laughs>
2: Him reacting to the fact that she'd never been to a party yeah. and his further reaction finding out that they didn't celebrate birthdays, which, by the way, if any kid needs, like, a final signaling before we get to the destroyed village, that the horde was evil like no birthdays, no birthdays. excuse me yeah. um we're
3: no not Chuck jehovah's in the fright zone <laughs> right
1: and we talked about how you know adora introduces this element of uh when she's in a relationship you have to reckon with the fact that she's this like super achiever i also love that uh, there's this huge element in the show which is probably the most relevant political part about can you and how do you keep relationships with people on the other side, especially if they're not complicit. Like, if they're not, I don't know, responsible, they're not the ones pulling the strings, but they're still involved, you know? I want
0: to... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I want to tie another point into this because I think we're kind of going to make two points that match here. So what I wanted to say before we get too far was that the way Adora realizes the wrongs of the Horde is A, how I predicted it would be, but also <laughs> so much more um, empathetic mm-hmm. and so much more emotional than like, my brother He-Man took me out <laughs> and told me what's what. Like she really <laughs> sees the pain and the loss of these people. She sees the lies that are happening around her. And then when Kachiro rolls up in a tank, she has this tragic moment where Adora is like, Clearly, I just have to talk to my friend Katra. Right. Clearly, this is a misunderstanding. They would never attack a civilian town. And when she realizes that Katra is totally chill with attacking a civilian town, that was so much more moving and deeply cutting mm-hmm. than just... Whatever thing about taxes is in the original.
1: In in (laughs) the original show, it's a spell, first of all. (laughs) Shadow Weaver has a spell on Adora. There's no implication in this that it's magic. They just kind of indicate that she's a a smooth talker. Um, And then Adora has a little journey where we were... It was on right before we started the new show where she sees... Uh, a horde trooper confiscate a horse and then push a child. Horsey! She sees a horde ship blow up an old man's house because he won't pay taxes. And she sees another horde trooper throw an old man in a lake because he says he's thirsty. And then she's like, all <laughs> right, that. you guys I are evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm joining He-Man. That's more prank-based. Right? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
1: I mean, I love the original, but
3: this <laughs> yeah. is much more like natural it also feels like a very don't tread on me kind of message like, <laughs> yeah. like i don't want to, that poor person who doesn't want to pay their taxes <laughs> yeah. No remiss- yeah um <laughs> no, but speaking to your earlier point then like I, that was one of the most interesting political angles was yeah approaching this conflict this ostensibly very black and white conflict from this from the perspective of these two populations of people that exist in entirely different worlds, not just of geography, but of information where Adora has to unpack a lot of myths that she's heard about Mm -hmm. the rebellion and everything else. And then like, you know, uh, Bo, at one point, talks about how everyone calls you the evil whore. Right. And she's never heard that. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah, Glimmer's line that I wrote down, because it was my like line of the episode, was, since when do horde soldiers not want to hurt anyone? Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. And so there's that idea of, like, we have we each have these assumptions about the other. And, like, you know, it's an imperfect analog to our, our own world. But, but let's still. let's
2: make it even grayer. I was thinking about this during the episode. What happens... If Adora had never left that night and she led one of the insurgents, she had gone to one of those supposedly Mm -hmm. highly fortified military bases and it had been a civilian town. I don't think she's that different than Catra no I
0: mm-hmm. think she would have led that group yep that tank would have gone
1: because again, she they would have thought her. that they were evil like rebellious soldiers yeah and right just without this people. literal
3: magical intervention yeah like mm-hmm. I don't know how different that would be and maybe that's a question that gets addressed uh, later in the season but like yeah, yeah even talking about the idea of the of the peaceful town that gets targeted as a military target yeah. has some really interesting parallels to like our own foreign policy yeah. for instance which is a weird thing for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power to cover but is I'm really good it's not weird but it's, it's it is, interesting but it is that it. they do I do
0: I think it. our podcast's whole thing <laughs> is that it's not that weird
3: yeah. but the fact that you're <laughs> the, the whole-
0: only <laughs> podcast
2: means it's a little weird
3: yeah <laughs> but I, I think the one thing that she and the Princesses of Power is doing is to prove your podcast right yeah thank so, you Clint alright show's over we heard yeah. it you hey,
1: oh, made Let's do some uh, final thoughts if if we're good with that.
0: My final thought as a cosplayer is that these outfits are so sick! (laughs) Uh, And they're also very battle appropriate. So Mm. uh, 80s animation does a lot of recycling uh, sequences. And so 80s Adora does the same spin kick over and over, in which we never see her panties. And it's really conveniently drawn. Everyone's wearing shorts now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can get thrown and you can flip and you can kick and actually move in a way that is reasonable and not for the male gaze. Thank you, 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You did something right, 2018. <laughs> <Be> <laughs> get to work Phew. on that other shit. Right. I'll say my piece, which is Lauren said it uh, off mic before the show. Thanks, Lauren, for stealing my emotional <laughs> moment. But for me, watching this, uh, it is very emotional for me because all right, so when I turned 21, I went to Las Vegas, as you do, and I got to see We Will Rock You, the musical. And it, it was such a weirdly moving experience for me because um, when you're my age and you love Queen, you, you grow up in an era where Queen is already of the past. Like, mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury is gone and you love him and you'll never see that live. And when you see his music brought to life in We Will Rock You, I found it so powerful. It's like, Holy shit, this is alive in a new, vital, breathing way. And it, it really touched me. And that's how I felt about this show, too. Like, it's not the same thing that I loved, but it's it's changed for a new group of people that can love it as much or more than I did. And I think that's magical. And there are th- some things I don't love about the show. We haven't really gotten there yet. But I, I'm very, uh, I'm fine with Seahawk. But <laughs> I, I'm very on board with the, uh, in general, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power.
0: Uh, kind of to that same series of points, the way I felt the first time I watched this pilot, which was last night and I cried a lot, was, uh, the same way I felt watching The Last Jedi and frankly, not The Last Jedi, Force Awakens, heavens. I don't actually like The Force Awakens that much. A uh, hot take. I don't like it that much.
3: Yeah. That movie's hey, not that good. It's not
0: that good. It's not
3: that good. <laughs> it's but, a new hope. Hey, it's fine.
0: <laughs> it's fine. And it's fine for the following <laughs> reason. <laughs> uh, the Force Awakens, in my opinion, is basically the new ho- a new hope if a new hope had women and people of color allowed to be in the cast. So marginally better than, like, just right. that's the minimum step you should Right, it's off. just the same story, yeah. but we actually, like, met a very low bar of diversity and representation. <laughs> right. It's not a good movie otherwise, and yet I wept like a child because I grew up with Star Wars. Star Wars was, like, my first fandom. It's everything to me. And seeing just women piloting X-Wings and even women in the background during the evil scenes, I just wept. And watching this pilot, all I could think was, I am so glad little girls are going to have this. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that uh, fans like our dear friend Jacob are showing their kids this and saying, like, this is what the world looks like. This is what you're capable of. I can't think of much that I got to see when I was a kid that showed me not only myself, but just the regular and colorful world around me getting to save the day. I'm so thrilled that this is here. And from a podcast perspective, I'm glad we were right about so many of these themes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lauren was more right than I was. I've been on (laughs) record as saying that.
3: um, Yeah, as for me, I'm really, really excited. I really enjoyed the pilot. And I guess in terms of final thoughts... I find it very interesting that the evil horde operates on a, uh, on a steady apparatus of fake news and literal bots. <laughs> yeah.
0: oh.
3: Damn Clint. It's
0: not subtle.
3: <laughs> no,
2: this show is many things. Subtle is not one of them. Yeah, um, truth. yeah, I think there's a lot of really powerful things you can say about the, the kinds of conversations that they're starting, the things that they're doing. Um, and, and I have thoughts on all of those, but really, I mean, part of my, t- my <laughs> final thoughts at the end of the day is like, I just want to live in this world. I just want to watch the show. I don't want to stop watching the show. I just want to be there. Um, it is such a beautiful, wonderful place to sit and be. But I think the one thing that I want to leave with, we didn't really I, – I kind of alluded to this, but I want to point this out as people are thinking about and consuming this new series – Is It is so important for little girls to see this, like Lauren said. I I cannot fathom the amount of, like, trees I would have been kicking to try to pretend to be She-Ra if I was a little girl this (laughs) was on. But also, it is so important that little boys are watching the show, too. Yes. Same. Both are very, very, very important. I want to see little boys wanting to be She-Ra in the same way that I know there were little girls who wanted to be – Batman or Superman because that was the option. They were the cool superheroes.
3: And to um, learn how to be a man by watching Bo. Yeah. 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 All of the above. But
2: man, the show rules. I'm gonna go home and watch it right now.
1: Yeah, Clint, are you gonna keep yeah. watching? Oh yeah, totally. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah absolutely well. Awesome. Yeah. Well Woo! guys, thank you for joining us. Uh we had a really good time. Our show is back. I'm gonna go home and edit this tonight, so it'll be live sometime hopefully before midnight, so we can make our release date. Yay. And uh Yay. we'll be back to studio episodes next week. And thank you for coming.
0: Our next episode is this again. Yes. Kids. Yes. And then after that, we're going to go episode by episode. Yes. Correct?
1: Yes, that is correct. Great.
0: I just think it's important to remember that we all love this, but we're not its target audience. Mm -hmm. And it's. I don't think we've gotten the opportunity yet to bring the true target audience of mm-hmm. she into the studio. So look forward to it, and we hope you're looking forward to the rest of our season as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Lauren. Thanks, everybody. Have a beer and some cookies, and uh, take care of yourselves.
3: Woo! Adieu!
1: I wish we had a cool sign-off line, but we don't.
3: <laughs> we have the power